1: podcast. And as always, thanks for joining me. In this episode, we're doing a UFO abduction file of Alan Godfrey. Just before we get into that, though, just want to say if you enjoyed this episode, any of the previous episodes, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you keep in the loop for every time I upload. On whatever platform you use, if you want to give us a rating, preferably five stars, uh, that definitely helps us get pushed up in the charts and more people to actually come across the podcast as well. And also, if you know anyone who might actually enjoy listening to Paranormal Thoughts, send them a link that definitely helps as well. This whole podcast has pretty much just been built off word of mouth. So if we can keep doing that, that's just going to help us grow. Just quickly as well, we're on Facebook and Instagram. We have a blog, which is paranormalthoughtspodcast.wordpress.com. There'll be a bunch of extra material relating to this episode on there. And we're on Patreon as well. And speaking of Patreon, I've just got a few people here to shout out. Ray Norman, Peter, and Lee Lunny. Thank you guys so much for being Patreons and helping support the podcast. And if any of you want to help support the podcast, definitely jump onto our Patreon. There's a few different tiers there that you can pick from, and you can get episodes early and bonus content and everything like that. And you can get yourself a shout out as well if that tickles your fancy. And I think that just about does it for all the housekeeping, so let's get into this episode. I have to start this by saying... For the last week of doing research into this UFO abduction case, I have just been so excited to actually finally sit down and actually record this episode. It's every once in a while I'll kind of come across a potential, a particular case or a topic that really just energizes me and just really gets me excited and just hungry for more paranormal kind of content, you know. I think we all do it in any sort of, you know, walk of life where you're interested in a topic, but then you sort of find out something new or just discover something and it just completely relights that fire that just really makes you just want to learn more and, and you know, for me express and actually, you know, give you guys some more information and, you know, kind of educate and just entertain you all. So the Todd Morden UFO abduction. Now, this case was actually, it's very well documented in a sense. From doing this research, and obviously I've done a fair few of these episodes now, this one was one of the easiest to kind of just look at and then put together quite easily, I'd say. There is a fair bit of information, but it's all kind of to the point in a sense, and you'll probably know what I'm talking about once I kind of go into the actual story and the event of what actually happened. But for me, this is such a great example of a very well-cited UFO case. And obviously, too, it being in the UK, which I don't think I've touched on as of yet. I've done these particular episodes for the US, obviously, being, you know, the biggest kind of hotspot for UFOs and alien abductions for whatever reason. I've also done an episode that was set here in Australia, and now we're going uh, across to the United Kingdom. This would have to be one of the most famous cases uh, in the UK as well. So this happened to a police officer of the name of Alan Godfrey. He witnessed a UFO in Todmorden, which is west of Yorkshire, on the 28th of November, 1980. So once again, sort of dating back a little while, most of these cases that I do kind of look at, as I've said, have sort of set in more sort of the heyday of UFO abductions and so on. It's a little more, I don't know, it's kind of like the golden years, I'd say, sort of especially from 1960 to sort of through to the late 80s. That is those sort of 20 years or so are the golden years really of UFO sightings and especially alien abduction. Well, let's just get straight into the story of what happened to Alan Godfrey on the night of November 28th, 1980. Alan Godfrey was a police officer working in Todmorden. And on this particular night, he was asked to go out to a local council estate because apparently there were some cows that had escaped from their paddock and were all over the road and so on. Very uh, typical. (laughs) That just sounds like a very typical small town kind of event, doesn't it, in the UK? Um, Some farms cattle's gotten out. But apparently, uh, as Alan states, that he thought it was a bit of a practical joke, actually. He's like, there's cows on the road, even though, you know, a small town, that doesn't sound that odd, but, well, there you go. You can tell I'm no uh, country boy. So Alan set off to this particular location, which was on Burnley Road. When he got close to the council estate, where he believed he would find the cows, he could witness an object that was in the middle of the road taking up a fair amount of space. Originally, when he saw it, he kind of thought it might have been like a double-decker bus because he thought it was about that sort of size. And he radioed into the control centre who originally sent him out to go check out these cows and just mentioned, uh, is there any traffic-type incidents that are out here at the moment that you've had reported? They're like, no, 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 just the cows. So he thought, all right, well, I'm just going to go check this out because I think they're either this bus is broken down or this vehicle's broken down or potentially they've tried to stop uh, and not hit one of these cows and they've kind of skidded out or something. He's thinking that he's going to have to step in here and actually help out whomever was the owner of this vehicle. So he drives a few hundred metres up the road and then realises what he was looking at wasn't a bus, it was a diamond-shaped craft that was hovering. At this point, Alan is beside himself. He's can't, he can't believe what he's looking at. And he even does reference that you hear about these kind of events. You know, you hear about people seeing strange lights in the sky, strange craft. And he said it was the most surreal thing actually being there in the moment and witnessing it with his own eyes. At this point, he's about 20 yards from the craft. As I mentioned, he describes it as a diamond shape and as if the craft was in two halves. So the top half of the craft was staying stationary while the bottom was actually rotating. And he also mentions that the craft was quite bright as well. It was illuminating a lot of light. So, obviously, what Alan has described there is unlike any aerial craft built here on Earth, and I think in that very moment, he knew that as well. What he was looking at is not of an earthly origin. So, the next thing that Alan Godfrey did was pick up his radio. He had two radios in the car with him. He had his VHF and his UHF, which is one which is built into the car, and the other one is a portable. And when he tried both radios, they weren't working, which is a very interesting point when literally a few hundred yards up the road, he called in to control and let them know that he was about to approach what he believed to be a bus. So for whatever reason, in the short distance that he drove and is now parked 20 yards from this craft, both his radios are not working. Now the next thing that Alan did I find very interesting and I guess it's probably because of his police background. He grabbed his clipboard and sketched the UFO that he was looking at. Suddenly the light that the craft was producing increased rapidly to the point where it was almost unbearable. The next thing that Alan remembers is him being in his car a few hundred metres down the road with the craft gone. He looked in his rear vision mirror where the craft should have been and it was no longer there. He reverses back up the road, gets out the car and has a little bit of an investigation. He takes notice that where he saw the UFO the ground was completely dry, and it had been raining that night. This outline from where the UFO was was completely dry. He says whirlpool dry, as if, you know, as I mentioned, the bottom half of the craft was rotating, so it was almost like a fan had dried this particular spot, and even the leaves and branches were kind of pushed to the side, so there was definitely something that was in that location for it to be dry. Alan heads back to the police station to report what he had just seen. Obviously, being a police officer, it gives great credibility that these accounts because it's literally their job to be honest and do the best for the public. But obviously a lot of police officers and a lot of people in higher kind of positions don't often report things like this or feel like they can't because their job will be on the line in a sense, especially, you know, you have to be in a solid sort of state of mind to do a job like being a police officer. So it sounds like Alan was a bit wary of that, but he thought he should do the right thing and actually report what he just saw. And even when he got back to the police station, it seemed like the other police officers there were a bit confused to where he was. He actually wasn't that far from the police station and, you know, they didn't hear from him back on the radio. So they're a bit confused. And um, Alan then looks at the clock and realises it's about half an hour later than he remembers. He thought he had only been out checking on these cows for about 15 minutes. It turns out it'd actually been 45 minutes. So there's a good half an hour there of missing time. Alan also notes his foot felt a bit itchy, not sore, but itchy. And he actually looked down and his boot was cut, not long ways, but sideways. And when he took the boot off, he had this red mark on the sole of his foot. Alan did go back to that site with another police officer. And once again, that police officer surveyed that spot and realised, yeah, the ground was definitely dry at that particular location. And then they hear the sound of cows mooing. So they followed that sound. They found a bunch of cows in a makeshift rugby field that had been fenced off. And the confusing thing is that there's no hoof prints on the ground from the cows, because obviously, as I said, it was raining that night. So there would have been some sort of indentation from the cows actually walking in there. And the fact that they were in this makeshift pen with the gate locked uh, doesn't really make any sense because someone would have to have put them in there. The way that Alan describes it is, it almost appeared that the cows had just been picked up and just placed in there by the way it was kind of looking. So the story doesn't end there, but I'm just going to move away from Alan Godfrey for a moment and his UFO sighting. So on that same night, about an hour or so earlier than Alan's sighting, three police officers reported seeing an object in the sky with a similar description are over the town of Halifax, which was 12 miles away from Todd Morton. The three officers were John Porter, Howard Turnpenny and Julie Baxter. They were out in a field looking for some stolen motorbikes. The way the story starts is John Porter describing the sudden urge to turn around as if he was meant to see something. He turned and then witnessed this diamond-shaped craft that was illuminating a cold blue light. The two other police officers turned around as well and witnessed the exact same thing. One point to mention as well that the craft was actually darting very quickly throughout the sky. It would kind of stay in one location for a second, then faster than even the human eye could follow, it would move to another location and it would just kind of keep doing that in this kind of sporadic type movement. John Porter reports that the object looked metallic in construction as well. So the three police officers obviously did the exact same thing that Alan tried to do and radio in what they were seeing. And once again, all three of their portable radios were not working. The three officers note that the craft took off from view, heading towards Todmorden. And this is where it gets even stranger again. Two more police officers in the town of Littleborough, which is 12 miles both from Halifax and Todmorden, witnessed a glowing pulsating craft in the sky over some power lines as well. So on the night of November 28th, 1980, six police officers in three different locations witnessed an illuminating craft in the sky that they could not identify. The three cities I've just mentioned, Todd Morden, Halifax and littleborough all are found in the same region, which is known as the Pennine region. This particular region for quite some years has been known for some very strange aerial phenomena. And there seems to be some very interesting reports that were given all throughout the year of 1980. This was definitely becoming quite a hotspot. And I read this particular region makes up one-tenth of the total UFO sightings throughout the entire UK. So now let's get into the abduction side of things. I've only really spoken about these police officers seeing this craft in the sky, right? Or in Alan's case, very up close and right in front of him. Missing time is a massive key, a part of UFO abduction cases. It's a big chunk of evidence as well if someone can kind of verify that they were missing for an extended amount of time, which they can't account for. Alan Godfrey could because his colleagues back at the police station were kind of curious to where he was for a good 45 minutes when he thought he was only gone for 15. Now, 30 minutes isn't a massive amount of time to lose. Some people lose a few hours at a time. And, you know, you even have someone such as Travis Walton who lost, I think, about six days. So it's not a massive amount of time, but it's enough to really warrant some more investigating into what happened. Ufologist Harry Harris approached Alan Godfrey and asked if he could do some hypnotic regression to see if we could actually uncover some more to Alan's story. And at first, Alan didn't want anything to do with it. He, like a lot of people, thought, you know, of hypnosis, you go see a show, people get up on the stage, they're acting like chickens and kind of like idiots, and there's a big kind of laugh. Uh, But eventually, he kind of came around to the conclusion of, maybe there is more to this, and, you know, I'll give it a go. There were two different psychiatrists that hypnotised Alan and neither of them were privy to what actually had happened. All they were given was a time and location that they had to take Alan back to. Now, I haven't been able to find this in full online anywhere, but I've found a very small snippet from a documentary that will be on the blog of Alan's hypnosis. I persuaded him to undergo
2: regression hypnosis, and two experiments were set up uh, with two uh, doctors who specialised in hypnosis. The uh, hypnotic regression sessions were videotaped, and during them, Alan fills in the missing time, the gaps in his memory. Oh. Alan describes getting out of his
1: car, looking at the object. Then he sees a, a light emanating from underneath it. So he gets back into his car, finds his car won't go. And then he's engulfed in a bright white light. There's a light. Mm-hmm.
2: He appears to lose consciousness. Uh, he says everything is black. He then wakes up in a room, where he
1: sees a tall man.
2: He's also surrounded
1: by six small robots. Who's horrible? Pardon? Who's horrible? Who's horrible? There. are. Who's there? He's made
2: the subject of some sort of pseudo-medical examination. In due course, he's put back in his car.
1: He witnessed a tall being and six smaller beings, which he describes as robots. Now, this is interesting because I've spoken about grey alien abductions a fair bit on this podcast, and the traditional kind of abduction that you're looking at is a bunch of smaller three- to four-foot type grey aliens, which people believe to actually not be living beings, that they are either AI or some type of robot due to the movement and also the lack of emotion and so on. Then I mean, often there are five to six foot gray aliens who seem to be the doctors or the ones in charge. Now, Alan didn't necessarily describe these as being grey aliens, but he did mention a sort of tall, thin, Alien, uh, he actually goes on in some reports I've found to mention uh, this particular being had a beard as well. Very interesting. Uh, and then these six smaller beings.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door.
1: We don't really get a ton of information about the abduction other than he was somewhere he was unsure of with these beings and he believes that he has some medical tests done on him. And I guess a good bit of evidence for that is his boot that was slit and his foot that had some sort of red, irritated mark on it. Now, all of a sudden, I think this Todd Morden UFO sighting becomes very interesting because now we have more evidence of an abduction. Now, some of you probably think, is hypnotic aggression really a piece of evidence? But... When it comes to this stuff, I think so. I think there's enough evidence to begin with that something bizarre has happened here. And now the fact that in his subconscious memory, there are these memories that have come out. Originally, Alan was still a bit skeptical of these memories. He thought maybe he had watched some science fiction type films and maybe developed these memories himself and built these memories himself rather than actually experiencing them. But in saying that as well, unless he was pretty well across the very sort of traditional abduction, which he could have been, I'm leading to believe that whatever he said in that hypnosis session to be true and to be his actual memory. So now this is something that's interesting that is separate to this particular event but it seems like a lot of ufologists and journalists have sort of added this story on top of that case. And I suppose I can see a little bit of a connection, but it also is a little bit of sort of far-reaching, a little bit. And I don't think it matters a ton to that original event. But if you're going to look into the Todd Morden UFO abduction, this will come up, so I thought I should touch on this. June 11th, that same year, Alan Godfrey was called to the Todd Morton railway station coal yard after a body was found. Now this body was lying on the top of a coal mound, which was 10 foot high. When Alan started to examine the body, he started to think, oh, this doesn't really add up. If this man had climbed up there himself, he would have been dirty in the coal. The coal on the mound wasn't disturbed as if anyone had sort of carried him up there and placed him down. The body was just kind of gently placed on top of this 10 foot mound of coal. The interesting thing about the body as well, there's a bunch of burn marks all around the head and quite a nasty one on the back of the neck. And Alan remembers almost like this ointment, this green-coloured ointment. And the first thing I think of when I think of that is aloe vera or something like that, which would kind of make sense for burns. But I'll go into that a little bit more. They identify the body as Zygmunt Adamski, a man who was missing for the past six days. No one could figure out why Zygmunt would be dead here. Uh, He had no enemies that they know of, no one who wanted him dead in any sort of sense. Alan Godfrey reports it was unlike anything he'd ever witnessed. He'd seen quite a few dead bodies in his time, but the look on Zygmunt's face was of pure terror. Whatever he saw in his dying moment, he was terrified. An autopsy was conducted and it's believed that the coroner found Zygmunt most likely died of a heart attack. But he was quite puzzled to what the burns were caused by and also the ointment. They ran tests on it and they couldn't figure out what it was. Rumors start to get around that, well, if this body was just kind of placed on top of this coal, what could potentially do something like that? The idea of him being missing for six days, you start to think back once again, I mentioned the Travis Walson case a little earlier on, a uh, man who was abducted in front of uh, his coworkers while they were out logging by a UFO and went missing for almost a week. And this is, you kind of see some bit of a connection here. This guy goes missing for six days, turns up, plays very delicately in this one location where it doesn't really make any sense. Alan Godfrey believes that it's definitely strange, but he isn't even jumping to the conclusion necessarily that it's connected to what then happened to him five months later in the year. But regardless, you can kind of start to see that Todd Morden has some very bizarre activity going on. It's interesting when you start to look at the Pennine region and some of the explanations for strange lights in the sky and so on. There's a researcher by the name of Dr. David Clark who believes whatever these lights are might be following fault lines or magnetic variations in the ground. In the rocks surrounding this region, there's a high trace of quartz crystals. These quartz could potentially be producing energy that could be giving off light or even having an effect on the mind, which would make people potentially visualise things. That's very interesting and, you know, I guess very much so putting a scientific spin on all of this. But at the same time, not 100% sure how much of that could really make up for a lot of the sightings. Some of that, if true and sort of proven, obviously, could answer some of the witnesses' accounts of seeing odd lights in the sky and so on. But regardless, it does not answer any of the questions that relate to Alan Godfrey's experience, in my opinion. I definitely think there is a lot of evidence within this case. You've had Six different witnesses on that one night in different locations, all seeing a very similar craft in the sky. What that sort of summarizes, just off the get-go, that there was something in the sky over that West Yorkshire area that night. It's only Alan Godfrey who had a close encounter with this craft, though. And he believes it to be a solid craft. He believes that if he threw a brick at it, it would have just smacked straight into it. It was as real as real could be. People have tried to say that he was hallucinating, that he didn't actually see this thing, that he actually was looking at a bus but was mistaken. But in saying that, Alan hasn't had any other experience like this in his life. If he was sort of prone to having these sort of episodes of just confusion and, I don't know, almost being in an altered state of reality, you think he would probably have that again or show some sort of sign of that. But he believes, you know, and this is the thing too, as I said, this is very hard for police officers and so on to come out and actually talk about. And it did have quite an impact on his career. And Alan has recently written a book about this, but that's 40 years after this account actually happened. So obviously this is not an easy thing for Alan to come out and start reporting on, you know, letting people know about. So whatever happened, he is very sure in his mind that it actually happened. And the biggest thing too is someone like Alan Godfrey has everything to lose and nothing to gain. He definitely has not gained much at all. After coming out, as I said, he's written a book and he's done some UFO conferences and so on, but uh, they don't pay, (laughs) you know. uh, Ask anyone who does any sort of creative type writing or anything creative, you know. If you want to make money, don't get into the creative industries is pretty much my word of advice there. So he had everything to lose, nothing to gain. There was some evidence of him being missing for that short period of time. His boot, which was also photographed, he had a sketch of what he witnessed and also the information that came out why he was hypnotized. I think all of that together builds a very strong case of UFO abduction for me. When you look into a lot of different UFO abduction cases, there, you know, there's it's very easy to speculate and think, okay, what else could have potentially happened here? But the key events, it's so well explained and documented. You know, it's it's very rare that this many people see the exact same thing. And what's great too is that all these things were happening, not quite simultaneously, but, you know, within that same evening and no one had had any communication about, you know, the people in uh, Halifax didn't know about Alan's case until the following day when all these reports kind of came forward and then the police officers went, oh, hang on, something was definitely seen last night. Uh, It's been seen by all the officers. And in saying that too, uh, these type of events weren't, completely foreign to this area either, but I don't think up until this point that anything quite like Alan Godfrey's experience had actually happened, or at least no one remembers having an experience quite like that. I find this case very interesting and very easy to get behind. I think the last few episodes of UFO Abduction Files I've done, I've found quite some big sort of plot holes or I can kind of, you know, start to make sense of what else could have maybe happened. But for something like this, this is the perfect case for a researcher really because it's, well, a researcher who wants to believe because there isn't a ton of room to doubt. And obviously, I'm not sure what those other I'm not sure what those other five police officers saw that night, if it was even the same thing that Alan saw. But regardless, there was some strange phenomena that was going on. It just definitely helps back up Alan's claim. But even, you know, the idea of the ground being dry in that spot, like that's stuff that you cannot fake, right? It's believed that another police officer came and witnessed that. And obviously, like every UFO abduction case ever, we are completely just going off the word of the people reporting it. But at least in this case, they're all cops. There is no reason for them to lie whatsoever, in my true opinion. You could probably, you know, argue that and you definitely could. You could definitely argue that now they were trying to have some fun. They wanted to, you know, have a bit of a celebrity in their town or whatever, but it doesn't really make sense. You running the story that you were abducted uh, by aliens is kind of probably not the first thing that comes to most people's minds in terms of uh, wanting to get some stardom, you know. I think the biggest thing with this case is Alan had everything to lose by coming forward and speaking. I don't think I can really poke any holes in this case, as I've just said. It's very well put together. I think the research that has been done is very extensive. The amount of reports that you can find from the people who had actually witnessed these crafts, uh, it's very substantial. It's great to hear first person a lot of the time for this stuff because uh, when someone else has spoken to these people and then is sort of uh, relaying that back or, you know, uh, if people are sort of referencing a bunch of different sources, it kind of can get lost a little bit. But uh, I found a bunch of material from Alan himself speaking and it's really great. That's how I like to do these is really hearing from the experience uh, in their own words and then me kind of taking that all in and then obviously reading. The, the thing with these is I read and watch as much as I possibly can within that sort of time of research. You know, I'd really like to just submerge myself within these cases. I started to look at another UFO case, in um, another abduction case in the UK, and then I uh, uh, said, no, 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 I need to stop because I don't want to blur the lines at all, or get, you know, maybe a bit confused or whatever. I just want to focus on this case. And this has been one of my favorite cases to come across. It's just so, I feel like it's really black and white. It's like, these are the events that happened. And that's the thing too, Alan wasn't even claiming to have been abducted. All he said was he saw this craft, he had some missing time, his boot was cut, he saw the ground was dry, these cows were kind of off in this paddock, which is kind of weird. All these weird events, his radio, the radios are a big thing for me. Both of Alan Godfrey's radios stopped working and then the same thing with the three police officers over in Halifax as well. That is beyond odd. In all honesty, and yes, you can definitely, there'd be definitely some reasons why that could be the case. But the fact that five radios in total did not work that night when trying to call in an unidentified flying object, that is extremely bizarre and a massive bit of evidence, in my opinion. That is the most substantial bit of evidence, in my opinion, that whatever this craft was, it was obviously interfering with their radios and just and not allowing them to make any contact. But yes, I feel like it's all very black and white. There's the information. Alan didn't come out and say that he was abducted. He said, here's all the facts. He then eventually went and did a hypnotic regression session and then more was uncovered. I think it's a very substantial case even without the hypnotic regression. But the fact that he believes he saw some beings and gave some description... It makes up for his missing time as well, him being somewhere and so on. I think it becomes very interesting and a very good case to study and really open up more abduction cases in the UK. Really, this was the first major abduction story to come out of the UK. Obviously, a lot of UFOs being cited, but um, obviously seeing a UFO and having a close encounter, very, very different experiences. One is reported every single day the other one is pretty rare or at least to find one of th- with this much credibility and really just evidence i think you can kind of see where i'm sitting this right now i think this is one of the best cases that i've come across that just excites me because you know this is 40 years old now but to me it just it it fits perfectly still i suppose within the mold that everyone is kind of basing the research off today you know, it's still very much so holds up. A lot of people try to put these up to dreams or hallucinations, but I don't know about you, but I cannot remember dreams. You know what I mean? Or, you know, I can't really say I've hallucinated a ton, but uh, I feel like if people do have these very vivid kind of memories, which they know sort of back to front, that is definitely more of a memory, in my opinion, not something you're, mind has kind of, a memory you've actually lived rather than your mind kind of creating something. So I feel like that would be very fleeting and kind of hard to remember. And at least someone like Alan Godfrey too, being a police officer, he reported the account as soon as he possibly could. Uh, so there was written documentation of what had actually happened. And that's exactly what we need to do too um, if people are having these experiences is getting all that information ASAP and really writing it down, having it, because that is the thing. The human memory is terrible. So we really do need to have everything documented or at least you know, record yourself. I've had weird experiences in the past. I've grabbed my phone and just recorded a walkthrough of exactly what had happened because I just know if I go to sleep and wake up, I'm going to get things kind of wrong and so on. So I think that's another reason why this case is just so black and white. Everything was done perfectly in a sense i guess it got a bit weird when um we sort of mentioned the body that was found some months earlier and if that sort of ties in i don't think it necessarily does i don't think that even necessarily has anything to do with alien abduction it could you know it could be anything i even saw people speculating online that um that man was a part of kgb type operation or something like that it's a bit then i tried to look for evidence of that and there wasn't it was just uh just speculation really so you could say the exact same thing with The idea that he was abducted for six days and then either left for dead or killed, you know, it's it's really hard to know with that stuff. And also the thing of the natural phenomena in this area, I definitely, I believe in that, you know the Bermuda Triangle is a perfect explanation for very strange natural phenomena. A lot of people put that up to aliens and so on, but, you know, I've done an episode, a podcast on the Bermuda Triangle. Definitely go check that out. But um, a lot of that has to do with a lot of natural phenomena that happens to fall within that triangle type shape out in the ocean. And once again, really dealing with rocks and you know air bubbles and so on or gas bubbles under the ocean and so on. But uh, in this case, dealing with a high trace of magnetic energy uh, coming out of these quartz and potentially having an effect. And as I said, this particular researcher, Dr. David Clark, looked into this quite some years ago. And believes that, yes, people, these, these rocks could even potentially making people hallucinate and see certain things. And I, I need to, I'm very curious about that, but I couldn't really find the studies online. Um, I think there is a book that's been published, so I might have to kind of suss that out a little bit. But regardless, and, you know, I'm not going to lie, majority of UFO abductions and UFO sightings can be very easily explained but it's that very, very small fraction, like what happened to Alan Godfrey, there's so much substantial evidence that you you just can't throw it away. I'm not saying, you know, you have to then suddenly believe that that's what happened, that he was abducted by extraterrestrials, but to then just dismiss it because, you know, people see things all the time and researchers have tried to dismiss what Alan Godfrey experienced because Todd Morden is in a flight path of Manchester and Heathrow Airport. People can identify the difference between a traditional aircraft and something that is unidentified. I hate that response. And yes, there is some pretty weird aircraft that exists now, but there is a difference. Have you ever witnessed or has the government ever come forward and said they have technology of a craft that has no propellers, no blades, that is hovering in the middle of the road and then can increase at such a speed that it cannot be seen by the human eye and do these very odd maneuvers? No, they haven't. I don't think extraterrestrials visiting here, I don't think that's an unreasonable claim. I don't think I've never thought it was unreasonable. Um, And I think more and more people now are believing. But yeah, it is actually quite likely. And it always comes back to that thing of if you think we're the only ones in this universe, like you are a peanut. Like what? How can you fat? How can you even begin to fathom that, or the idea that yes, oh, of course, there's aliens out there, but oh, they couldn't come here. You know, they're just organisms on a on a planet and so on. You know, they're not intelligent type beings who would travel here and so on. It's like, well, we would literally go to other worlds if we could. We're always constantly developing new space technology to get us off this planet and somewhere else. You know, it only makes sense that everywhere else would be doing the exact same thing. It's it blows my mind. And once again, I've gone on a bit of a rant there, but. I don't think it's that far-fetched to say, yes, this was most likely a UFO abduction and definitely an extraterrestrial craft that was witnessed by all these police officers. I don't think that's far-fetched to say whatsoever with all the evidence and the reports that we have. As always, what do you guys think? I think this is one of the most interesting cases I've come across. probably feel like I say that all the time, but in all honesty, I've really enjoyed researching Alan Godfrey And he's got his story straight. You know, it hasn't changed over the last 40 years. It's a very good case to to hold in a high regard for really what you should be comparing other UFO cases to if they kind of fit. if 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 you can check all these sort of boxes and go, yep, there's this, there's this, there's this. That sort of rules out everything other than an extraterrestrial visitation or close encounter in this case. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I had a great time recording it. Uh, I've been really excited to, as I said, speak about this. And this is my favorite topic to cover, so I'm always very passionate about it. And um, I think it's just exciting to know that this case has existed for quite some years now and that I've only just kind of really dug into it. But uh, I like that this this happened. (laughs) You know, it's exciting that there's just more and more. That's the thing. I think there's so much evidence out there. So many sightings, so many reports that, you know, we can never get really through them all. But, you know, I'm kind of glad that I take this time. And obviously I'm doing it for this podcast, but it's great to just do it for myself as well. It's bettering my knowledge and it, it just makes me each week go, wow, like what I come on here and preach about, I actually do believe in. Because this case was definitely one of those things of, yeah, this is why I'm doing it because it's for thing finding things like this and getting to sort of pass it on to you guys and hopefully you can make up your own minds of where you sit with the whole UFO abduction phenomena. So thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and please share the podcast with anyone who you know who likes the paranormal, like spooky kind of things. It's, it definitely helps us out. That's how we've pretty much grown this entire time of the last four years. It's just, it's just word of mouth. It's been completely organic. So I much appreciate if you have uh, shared the podcast or if you're going to. As I said as well, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Definitely check out the blog. If you want to support the podcast as well, jump on our Patreon. It definitely helps. And of course, just thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Todd Morden UFO Abduction of Alan Godfrey. And with that, I'll see you in another episode real soon. Thanks. Bye.
0: Planning for your next trip?